Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Healthy Dose of Dialogue podcast. I'm your host, Don Antonucci, Senior Vice President of Growth at Blue Shield of California. My guest today is Dr. Carrie Byington. Dr. Byington is Executive Vice President of University of California Health, comprised of six academic medical centers, a community-based health system, and 20 health professional schools. Dr. Byington is a distinguished academic with a strong research background. She's also a thought leader who has been an advocate and mentor for women and underrepresented minorities in medicine. In this episode, which was recorded shortly before the presidential election, Dr. Byington shares her passion to transform healthcare into a system that is more accessible and affordable for everyone. We invite you to check out other episodes of Healthy Dose of Dialogue. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes or Spotify, or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Dose of Dialogue. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Dr. Byington. I am so glad you are able to join Healthy Dose of Dialogue. Thank you, Don. It's a pleasure to be here. We're so glad to have you here. And I've, um, I'm so excited for this conversation. I've done a bit of research on you and your background, Dr. Byington. And one of the things that really caught my attention is basically when you got started and um, with an interest in science and medicine. Could you uh, share with this group your story about maybe the age or when you got interested in wanting to be a doctor? Thank you, Don. Um, I've wanted to be a doctor as long as I can remember. And I started talking about becoming a doctor when I was four years old. I grew up in South Texas um, on the Mexican border with a very traditional Mexican-American family. And I was the first in my family to ever show an interest in healthcare or in science. So I had a lot of um, aunts and cousins, as well as my parents, to convince that this would be the right profession uh, for a young woman. Now, I find that just amazing. I did watch a video clip of you where you were interviewed and talked about that. I mean, I guess it was just who you who you were. I mean, to be so young and to really not have the support for what you were trying to do or where you wanted to go for quite some time. I mean, what do you think that was inside of you that just um, persevered? I mean, what can you share with the audience? It's amazing, that story. I, um, I am a resilient person and I do persevere. Uh, uh, I think part of, uh, part of my perseverance is coming from the family that I come from. Uh, they always supported me. I had a very large extended family. Uh, they were concerned about the challenges I was taking on, but once they saw uh, that I was uh, successful in school, that I was doing well in college, that I was getting interviews for medical school, uh, they were behind me, and I was very driven by what I had seen growing up, um, which I now recognize uh, as health disparities. I didn't know what they were at the time, uh, but I watched family members uh, suffer from poor health care, um, uh, lose their lives at an early age uh, to cancer that had not been uh, identified or treated properly, and that really... Um, drove me uh, to improve things for uh, people like my family 
and and that's been uh, an important part of my um, work ever since. When you started to um, you know study science and medicine, and uh, and started to uh, gain more confidence, maybe or gain expertise. What was were there any specific turning points that you would point to where you're like where or where you really believed, hey, this is what I'm going to do and where I'm going to go? Or um, did you always have that confidence that you were going to persevere and be resilient? No, I didn't. And and I think that um, we could talk about it a little bit. There is uh, such a thing as imposter syndrome. And, and uh, when I arrived to medical school, I definitely felt that a mistake had been made, that I didn't uh, have the background of so many of my peers. Um, I had what I think were simple goals when I first entered medical school uh, to become a practicing uh, physician and to serve um, uh, individuals who uh, lived in poverty or who had um, uh, poor access. And it was uh, through medical school um, that I met Dr. Ralph Biden, uh, a leader in pediatrics. He was chair of the Department of Pediatrics. Uh, at the time and an infectious disease physician. And he was the one who acted as a mentor to me and who said um, to me that the way that you can improve health for large numbers of people is through research. And I had never considered that before. I really didn't know anyone who had ever done research. I had not participated in research. Um, And so, he took an interest, he saw potential, and he guided me um, into a research career. He helped me in um, late medical school to work with the Centers for Disease Control uh, for six months on uh, a measles outbreak that was going on in uh, Houston. It was the largest measles outbreak in the United States after the introduction of the vaccine. And the work that I was able to do in those six months with the CDC really showed me that data we were collecting uh, on the ground could be transformed into a vaccine policy for the whole United States. And the data that we were collecting was influential in changing the vaccine recommendation for measles from one shot to two. We still have that same recommendation today And I watched a measles epidemic that was out of control in Houston, um, affecting women and children, causing deaths. I watched it end because of the recommendation for a second vaccine. And that really uh, changed my life. And and I became um, an investigator. And it was um, Dr. Feigen who uh, recommended that I go to the University of California San Francisco to study infectious diseases. And, and so then, as you would say, the rest is history. <laughs> that is a great story. It brings me to um, a, just a, a, a question on data. And um, when you look at even today, one of the things that I know, you know, that, for example, Blue Shield of California, other health plans, other, um, other players in the healthcare delivery system are focused on is really opening up data and access. I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, we have a a belief at Blue Shield, for example, that 
you know, you've got to have a personal digital health record um, that's accessible, available, um, that providers can access, but also members and patients. I mean, how do you think about data, you know, given, you know, kind of what you just spoke about there with how influential it can be? And really today there's there's gaps and silos in, in data. Right, uh, data is um, the currency, if you will, for making change. Unless we uh, understand our data, we can't actually focus our intervention. So I am a very data-driven person. I've trained as a scientist at UCSF. I've conducted uh, research of my entire career, and I've seen um, the power of bringing data to decisions. And that's one of the things I'm thrilled to be working on at the University of California. We have a system-wide center for data-driven insights led by Dr. Atul Bhu, and it, it allows us to aggregate all of the data from across the system, all of our clinical data. So we have data on uh, over 5 million individuals. We're collecting it every day. And during this pandemic, we have really accelerated uh, the use of the data. And we've created dashboards. We track everything from the number of patients we have, the COVID tests that we're doing, which beds are occupied, how many ICU beds we have, how many ventilators we have, how many pieces of personal protective equipment we have, um, what drugs we're using, what are the responses to those drugs. And we're able to use the data as a system uh, to improve, to constantly improve. We share the data across the system, but we're now also working to share the data with um, the California Department of Public Health and to integrate their data into our data. Uh, we share our data with the Food and Drug Administration um, and the Centers for Disease Control as we try to uh, you know, do our part to contribute uh, to managing this pandemic on a national scale. That is amazing. And um, it's clear that what you're doing and, and what University of California Health is doing is leading are you seeing, um, importantly, other systems throughout California also kind of stepping up to the same degree? Um, is, it, is it all across the board? You know, what's the opportunity to do that throughout California, you know, let alone the nation? But let's start with California. You know, is, is there learning that others could be taking from, you know, you and what, what your team's doing? Yes, there is. And, and being in California has been... Um, uh, really, I, I would say a great place, a great uh, place to be uh, during this pandemic. I have never seen such collaboration and cooperation across systems. So in a number, number of areas, uh, I work either with the California Department of Public Health that's convened academic leaders from across California. We meet every week and we discuss and share what we're doing. We share our data. We're finding ways to, to collaborate. I work with the California Hospital Association in a similar way, the California Medical Association. There is so much opportunity to, um, to work together to uh, raise the level of, of excellence for everyone. And if there is one bright side of the pandemic, it has been able to break down barriers and silence and, and encourage more collaboration. 
That is great to hear. Um, so turning to the University of California Health, and you are coming up, I think, on you're almost at a year, you're days away from being a year in your role uh, there. Um, <laughs> Halloween will be my one year anniversary. <laughs> Maybe that was a, uh, the wrong day to start. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when you started, um, you said joining a system that is um, an engine for healthcare uh, progress is a dream come true, and uh, and and I'm sure that's still the case. You know, tell me a little bit about what it's been like. Um, so you start, you know, almost a year ago, the pandemic hits. Um, you know, you you talked a little bit already about some of the collaboration that's occurred because of the pandemic, but. Kind of what what has uh, shifted and changed for you um, as you've started this role, you know, fairly rapidly. You know, kind of tell us a little bit about what your focus is now versus maybe you know what it was originally going to be, or has it kind of stayed the course? So it's interesting, Don. I came on October thirty first, and I first learned of um, the novel coronavirus on December thirty first. So really, just two months in. Um, when I arrived, I came, um, I came back to California because it is the largest and most diverse state. And it was a state where I really believe um, they had a commitment to uh, universal access to healthcare. And the system, the University of California system, being the only public system in the state and, and such a respected organization, I felt like we had a real opportunity to demonstrate um, the capacity of academic medicine to partner with the state and to improve healthcare for all Californians. That's why I came. And my very first meeting with the Board of Regents um, that December, uh, the first time I was able to address them uh, publicly, I said there had really been two, um, uh, two influences on my life and career. Those were health disparities and pandemics. And that was in December, December the 12th, I believe, December of 2019. So little did I know that both of those would come together, you know, almost instantly in January. So although I came um, seeking healthcare transformation and thought that I would work in, in certain sectors, the pandemic has uh, changed our focus. You know, we've got to get through the pandemic. But it hasn't changed, um, and in fact, I think it's amplified the importance of addressing health disparities and making sure we have um, excellent health care for everyone. So um, so I feel like it, it maybe has changed my focus, but not the underlying um, goal. It sounds like it may have, um, I think you're hinting at it's accelerated some of the work potentially. Um, it's called it out, right? Spiked it out for everybody to see. I kind of think about it, you know, I think about health disparities and I think about things like, you know, virtual care that a lot of folks, you know, has been around for some time, but has increased. So is that a fair statement? It, 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 are there, are, are we going to see some real progress maybe in an accelerated fashion because of the pandemic on something so important like health disparities? I think we already are, Don. And acceleration is, is a really good word. Um, all, of those, all of us who work in healthcare have recognized the problems with health disparities for years. 
but I don't think it's been on the general public's mind or maybe not as visible. The pandemic made it visible to everyone. And as we go into our national election, you know, early next month, healthcare is on everyone's mind and everyone is talking about it. So I think it really did accelerate. Um, I certainly know our board of regents, our chancellors, um, the concept of health is something that we're talking about every single day, not just in specific meetings uh, with the health system, but actually involving all of our leadership. And that's one of the things I said to the chancellors when I first came and before the pandemic, is that I wanted to work with all of them because health happens on every campus, not just the campuses that have medical centers or uh, hospitals, health happens on every campus. Health happens in every community and we need to be you know, focusing on that. Yeah, healthcare is definitely local and it's, uh, um, you know, just uh, the the work that you're doing and, you know, given this pandemic, I've just got to imagine, you know, that the opportunities that come out of this and, you know, building structure, systems, processes to really help people is what I get excited about. If there's something to get excited about the pandemic, it's that for me is that acceleration in, you know, back to kind of why you originally joined University of California Health to transform healthcare. I'm curious, I, you know, as I was doing research and you've got just amazing background credentials, one of the things that you did was you were the chair of the Infectious Disease Advisory Group for the U.S. Olympic Committee, uh, responsible for protecting Team USA athletes and staff from Zika virus during the 2016 Olympic Games in Brazil. How is that, if at all? I mean, did that experience help in any way shape kind of what you're dealing with now? If you could just share a little bit about that experience and then how it translates maybe to work you're doing now. Certainly. That was a, a lifetime experience. You know, that was one of um, my uh, my proudest moments, I think, to be able to um, serve in that way. So it does inform what I'm doing today, just like the work that I did during the H1N1 pandemic, you know, for working to protect a children's hospital, um, working to protect, protect the athletes from a new virus. And we're in that same situation today with coronavirus. So I've had the opportunity to learn things um, that must happen when you're dealing with a new pathogen. And some of the most important things are communication, clear communication, and then uh, involving all the stakeholders, working with you know many stakeholders. Working with the US Olympic Committee, that was just one stakeholder group. The Centers for Disease Control was involved in that activity, the uh, National Institutes of Health was involved because we were also um, studying the disease that might occur in the athletes. And so there was, there was research under, uh, that was being done at the same time. And I was also able to bring 11 students with me um, to share in the experience and give them what I hoped was the same type of experience I received as a young student, uh, working with, um, with something that had such um, importance in, in our communities, in our world. And I think those uh, 11 students and trainees will always make research part of their career too. That's incredible. That's great. 
Um, from a communication perspective, I, I'd love to that you you led with that. Um, you know, what are some of the the learnings, even maybe uh, with this pandemic, or maybe things that you've had to do differently? You know, we're on a podcast right now, which you know um, actually is a is a new way of communicating for me uh, as well. And uh, you know, even though they've been around for a while, we're all communicating virtually. We're communicating differently. And there's things like for a lot of folks, Zoom fatigue and WebEx fatigue and all of that. But what's been your leadership style from a communication standpoint, you know, whether it's internally within your organization altogether or from, from an external perspective? Yeah, a lot of things have have changed and communication is vital. For me, more communication is better. So from the beginning, um, when when we were first learning of the virus, um, the UC president was President Janet Napolitano, and she, of course, had been the leader of Homeland Security. So I called her um, during that you know uh, winter break and said, I think this could be problematic, and we are going to need to gather our leadership together to to talk about plans. It was so um, wonderful and a new organization to see the depth that had already been developed for uh, emergencies and they had an entire management response team. That's, you know, organizing uh, at the top and then making sure that the messages are conveyed uh, across each of the campuses and the constituents is really important. And as part of our pandemic response, we made a new uh, health coordinating committee and brought in system-wide leadership um, so that we could be making decisions uh, together. We knew they needed to be decisions in real time. You know, what was our masking policy going to be? What what were we going to say our uh, uh, our policy is going to be around in-person education? Uh, what is our policy about um, stopping uh, surgical procedures? You know, we, we needed to make these decisions together rather than uh, individually at, at 12 different hospitals or 10 different campuses. And so getting people together and coordinating the message was really important. If I had to say um, what I also had to learn was uh, social media. I had been present on Twitter a little bit, you know, but I, I, had, I had been a member, but, you know, I would tweet now and then or I would follow things now and then. Um, Twitter for science and for infectious disease became absolutely indispensable. You found the first papers, the preprints, um, you know, preprints were something that we were not relying on before the pandemic. We would be lost without the preprints now. And the way you find out that a preprint has been published is it's on Twitter. And so being able to use social media was something I had to adapt to. and. I, I was laughing with my um, with my son, who of course is a digital native and social media you know expert. I'm tweeting 20 or 30 times a day today. That's just normal for me. That would have never been normal, you know, before. But I'm also consuming a lot of scientific information uh, through social media. I was actually going to ask you how you stay current, and I love that you said that because I've actually done quite a bit of the same thing. I absorb quite a bit of information uh, via social media. And um, 
by the way, you have a new follower because I'm following you <laughs> now, uh, on Twitter as well. And you're putting out just great information, obviously around COVID-19. And um, I, I just started following you and it's really great. So for the listeners out there, um, follow Dr. Carrie Byington on Twitter. And it's, uh, it's Carrie uh, underscore Byington at, uh, for, for Twitter. So check that out. But uh, I, I love that you said that. And, I, and that's definitely been a place to uh, be able to communicate uh, to folks as well and interact uh, with different uh, leaders and people that are interested in those topics. So that is wonderful. I did make a commitment to our students and to our uh, faculty that, uh, that I would put out only uh, information that I thought was reputable um, and, and the information that I was reading and that I thought was important for them and, and to our Board of Regents. And so it is a way for me to communicate also in real time that this is an article I've read and I think has um, some um, something relevant for, for us either in California or the University of California system. Um, I've always had the habit of reading science uh, every morning. That has been my habit forever. I continue to do it. Um, with COVID, uh, there's never a shortage of, of a new paper to read. And so most of my morning tweets are, are what I've been reading and hope that other people will read them as well. Love it. Love it. Um, so on a, on a personal note, has there been for you a silver lining um, with COVID-19? So I think there are silver linings both professionally and personally. So professionally, the concept of um, health equity and access to healthcare for all is now part of the national conversation. And I believe strongly the pandemic will end. And when it ends, we're not going to go back to the status quo. The country will advance. And it will advance in a way um, that I think will bring greater access to healthcare for all. And that's a world I really want to live in. You know, I, I think that's what I've been working towards my entire life. On a personal level, we're all working from home now. Well, not all of us, essential workers are not, but many of us are working from home. And um, I'm one of those that has been primarily working from home. And it's been an opportunity to spend time um, with my husband and my grown uh, children. We've been able to have a little bubble and see each other a, a lot more, cook together. Um, so we all love to cook and we've all become better cooks uh, during the pandemic. Um, but uh, if that's a silver lining, you know, that is a silver lining for me personally. But, but I do recognize that this pandemic has been um, incredibly difficult for the entire country and um, my work has been focused every day and the, and the work of everyone at the University of California Health System to end this pandemic, to get us out of this place through research and uh, through excellent, uh, excellent care that we are able to deliver. Thanks for sharing that, Dr. Byington. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, it's winter. Winter is coming. And so if I could clearly communicate one thing, please follow public health guidance. Wear a mask and get your flu shot. You will be healthier. Your communities will be healthier. 
and our health systems will be better able to respond to the needs of the nation. So please follow the public health guidance. Thank you, Dr. Carrie Byington. And thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you walked away with uh, just some great, uh, you know, nuggets of information here. So Dr. Byington talked about things like clear communication, data currency, uh, so important in healthcare transformation. Her own resilience and persistence with her career has been a key ingredient. And health equity for all um, is something that, uh, that she's passionate about, and you can hear that, and is very much focused on. And I love that uh, your thoughts on how the country will advance uh, after the pandemic. And finally, really important advice at the end there, follow the public health guidance and and wear a mask. Um, For more information about University of California Health, visit their website at www.ucop.edu forward slash uc dash health. Join us next time as we continue to bring you a healthy dose of insights and perspectives based on conversations with leaders who are transforming healthcare. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes or Spotify or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Dose of Dialogue. Thank you, Dr. Byington. Thank you, Don.